the pressure being chased by Hardy. Throws. It's caught by McCaffrey. And he will pick up a first down. Takes it to the 43-yard line. It looks like he will be awarded exactly 17 yards, so he reaches 1,000. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Christian McCaffrey setting records, elevating himself into rare air. Thousand yards receiving, thousand five yards receiving, thirteen hundred yards rushing. Third player in NFL history to get a thousand yards rushing, thousand yards receiving in the same year. Marshall Falk did it. Amon Green did it. In his 2,392 total yards from scrimmage, third most ever. He broke his own record for receptions by a running back, had 116. He set the record last year with 107. He's a unique talent, best for certain. I don't know if we've ever seen anything quite like him. There are comparable players. You think of Alvin Kamara with the Saints. They, they, have, they have very similar skill sets. But McCaffrey, I, I like McCaffrey between the tackles better than Kamara. He's a tough runner. He's a tough little guy. I mean, he's a little guy. I promise you. He's a little guy. I've been around him. He's a little guy, man, but he is all football player. And if things had gone sideways with Kyle Allen yesterday after he came in for the injured Will Greer, guess who the emergency quarterback was? Christian McCaffrey. I'm down with that. Light up in the Wildcat. Let's go. Let's do it, man, because you know he's going to do something incredible. I mean, it couldn't get any worse. Why not? I guarantee you wouldn't fumble it. I said line up and let it go. I'll give, I'll give Scott Turner credit. He did a pretty good job of figuring out ways to get number 22 the football. He did. And I liked it. I liked it when he took over as the OC for his dad when they made the coaching change with Rivera. Because he did a good job of getting Curtis Samuel involved in the offense a little more. A little more diverse in the play calling there by having Samuel line up in the backfield. Remember, Curtis Samuel was a running back at Ohio State. As a receiver, Curtis Samuel makes me a nervous wreck. He's got a little too much Ted Ginn in him, 50-50. Either catch it or drop it. I like how they're moving it around, though. Now, will that be the case next year? We have no clue because we don't know who that coach is, and we don't know who's going to hire the head coach. Who's going to hire the head coach? Will it be Marty Herney? Will it be David Tepper? Will it be a combination of the two? Who do you target? And we know they've had two interviews with McCarthy, but who else? They're not going to get Lincoln Riley. They're not going to get Urban Meyer or whomever. Who do you target? It all depends on the quarterback. It all depends on the quarterback, and they have to figure out who the quarterback is going to be next year. Right now, it all depends on the in, on Cam Newton. How's his health? Healthy Cam Newton is going to bring up a lot of different scenarios because he's only got one year left on that contract, and that contract's not going to break the bank. It's 19 million bucks. So everything will determine that, even who they hire, because you want to go into a situation where you know who the quarterback is if you're taking a coaching job. And then you got to get a coach who can handle who can handle that. I mean, Cam's a big personality. It's his team. 
but it's more and more becoming Christian McCaffrey's team. He's changing the way the game is being played. He's making teams think hard on how to defend him. You can't stop him, but you have to try to slow him down. You, you have to make it to where he doesn't beat you. He's going to get his yards. He's probably going to get a score, but you've got to keep it to that, to where they're not otherworldly numbers. He's a unique talent, that's for sure. He's the most exciting player I think the team has ever had. I know Steve Smith's did some incredible things. I know Cam has done some incredible things, but it's just different from that quarterback position. Cavery's all over the place. And if they really needed him, they could put him back there again to return punts and kicks. It's got to be a challenge to block somebody like that, to, to, to be out in front of him, to move him, to, to make sure he's got space. But you really know, don't know where he's going. You just have to pick an area, block a guy, and hope that he slips behind you or around you or whatever. Try to stay out of his way as best you can. It's a tricky position. But they're lucky to have him. And you wonder if they're going to be able to get a comparable pick in the upcoming draft. Going to be picking seventh. It'll be the seventh time in team history that Carolina's had a top 10 pick. And they've, they've all worked out pretty well for the most part. Of course, they got, of course, they got Cam number one overall back in 2011. Then they got Keekley in 2012, and they got McCaffrey. They got McCaffrey. 2017. Jordan Gross. I think Jordan Gross was a first-round pick out of Utah, I want to say. Well, a lot will determine what they what they want to fill. They're going to have major holes. You look at the free agent list. Mario Addison, edge rusher. Trey Boston. I like Trey Boston. I like his game. I thought he's had a solid season, all things considered. And James Bradbury's had a fantastic season. But a few others, Vernon Butler, Ross Cockrell, got to go. I'd keep Bruce Irvin. I think Bruce Irvin is a good, good get for that roster. Guy plays hard every snap, and he brings a really good set of skills off that edge position. But you have to determine, what, what is the number one priority? This team has so many weaknesses that it's hard to just circle one thing. And again, it all goes down to the cam question. Do they have to go after a quarterback? They just drafted a quarterback in the third round last year when they got Will Greer 100th overall, but he's he's light years away from being ready. He's light years away from being like from being a quality starting quarterback, let alone a franchise quarterback. Do they make a run? Do they move up? Do they try to get a quarterback? Or do they do the old the old Dave Gettleman way of thinking? You build the team front to back. You, you, the, the hog mollies and the linemen on both sides of the football. Do you do you focus on that? I would I would tend to say yes, considering how bad the run defense was. But at the same time, you got to have a quarterback. It's a quarterback driven league. We'll find out in April. One 2761 Best and worst of the weekend. Best and worst of the year. Best and worst of the decade. Let's head over to the phones. Check in with Steve in Apex. Steve, happy New Year. Yeah, happy new year too, buddy. Hey, I was just this the announcement. Okay, my past thirty New Year's. I, I 
liked Clemson pretty good. I think that was one of the, you know, one of the better things that everybody kept counting them out. And then my, the thing with the Panthers right now, I'm a Panther fan, and I was listening to you talking. Me, personally, I agree with what you just said. last statement was absolutely spot on to me. It's a quarterback-driven league, and everybody keeps talking about Cam. And I've watched the guy for nine years. I've been a Panther fan since 96. I mean, it just, he's not accurate. He has helped that he make him run a little bit, but he's older. He's just not the same Cam, and he's not going to be the same Cam. So I don't know what everybody waiting for some kind of transformation. So we need to try our best to find a free agent. I don't know if it's Bridgewater or whoever it may be, but we got to get some kind of stability at quarterback. Because like you said, this is a quarterback league, and we have absolutely got to have a quarterback. We can fit together all the free agent parts on linebackers and safeties and all this other stuff. But quarterback, if you ain't got a quarterback, you know where you're going. And Cam's not accurate. That's the problem I have with him. He's not accurate. He's not going to be accurate. So. And you got to think he's going to be less accurate because you wonder how, how much he's going to feel comfortable on that surgically repaired foot. you got to be on balance. And his arm's not what it used to be. You can't overpower it all the time. But he's a unique he's a unique specimen, though. <laughs> when he's healthy, he gives you something extra. But you get, you're right. you got to be accurate. Excellent call, Steve. Appreciate it, man. Hope you have a happy new year. 1-800-849-2761. Best and worst of the weekend, best and worst of the year, best and worst of the decade. They, the best was Christian McCaffrey. He's looked so fantastic. And I asked this question earlier, and I'm going to try to get an answer now. How do you block somebody like that? I can't imagine being 300-plus pounds and trying to stay out of the way of a Christian McCaffrey. We'll see if Brad Hopkins has an answer. B-Hop, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Scott. How are you? I am well, sir. And you heard my question. How do you block for a guy like Christian McCaffrey? Well, I mean, he makes it easy. Because he's almost untackleable, if that's even a word. Um, I think he's a smart guy that he, he runs over his pads. He's got great vision. you got to have a back that understands where the creases are. You know, and, of course, the, the, the more you have time to work with a guy, you understand what his tendencies are. You know, someone that likes to bury their, you know, their helmet in your back and just kind of bush to get up yard versus a guy that, you know, can reverse his field or, you know, cut back or, just even hit the hole with, with some sort of veracity. That's you know, that's what you kind of look for in the back. And, and, and it varies. You know, I block for the Eddie Georges that don't need much blocking versus, um, say, the Rodney Thomases from A&M that, you know, are really more like a scat back, you know, really quick and faster feet. So it really depends on which back that you have. I think Christian McCaffrey being a guy that you really can't tell what he's doing in the backfield, um, it makes it harder for defense to predict what that's going to be. I mean, you can – be involved in play action just as much as he can ball, be involved in, you know, downhill running. He's just that effective. What would be something, though, you would like to see maybe Carolina focus on going forward into next year to try to expand him even further? Is, is that possible? Are there more things you can do with a Christian McCaffrey? Yeah, um, it's called getting outside threat, consistent outside threat. Because what happens is if you don't have the deep ball, then people can stack the line of scrimmage. They can bring guys down into the box and they can – harder for you to get good reads and, you know, to get bodies on, on defenders, you know. So, but when you have that outside threat, someone that can beat the deep, that makes defenses play you honest. You're not going to see any cover zero in a situation where you've got, you know, a dude on the outside that can definitely beat almost any coverage. You're going to want to double team. You're going to want to have spies on. going to have all these things that make defenses keep, you know, keep defenses honest. Uh, I think that basically having the balance of, of someone that can actually you know, take some of the workload off of the run game and be a legitimate option versus, you know, Christian or 
Cam Newton with his legs and arm, you know, things of that nature. You've got to have that kind of option, basically. Is durability a, a, a concern when it comes to a huge, Christian McCaffrey? Huge. Yeah. And the thing is, with a guy that's as small as he is, I say small, comparatively speaking, you know, he's not Derrick Henry. You know what I mean? He's not Marshawn Lynch. He's not these, you know, these big hulking backs to really kind of run over a defender. You know, he's a guy that's had to play with his smarts. He's a guy that, you know, that is relatively durable. I mean, everybody is dealing with something, but not to the level where it takes you off the football field for him consistently. I mean, he's been nice. You know I mean? It's been nice to watch, and he's been reliable, which definitely helps in everything. Joined by Brad Hopkins. You can follow him on Twitter, at B underscore Hop 72. Brad, we're getting reports that Ron Rivera, clubhouse leader to get the coaching job with Washington, is he out of his mind? No, absolutely not. Are you kidding me? Uh, what do you mean, out of his mind by taking the Redskins? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, because just for anybody that's in need of a coach, they got dysfunction. They've got things going on that made them fire their coach. You know, I mean, most guys just don't leave. A, a, a position in the NFL as a lateral move, it doesn't make much sense. You know what I'm saying? But I think that when you look at, you know, the situations that are dealing, you know, that, that new coaches have to deal with, there's usually some element of of a problem that you have to deal with. You know, and how capable are you of dealing with that? I think Ron Rivera has a lot of respect around the NFL and people like playing for him, you know, which covers a couple of bases. Now, can he get some, some parts, some, some dudes, you know, some, some inventory that allow him to have, you know, the kind of success that he would want. I mean, that, that goes hand-in-hand hand with a general manager hire. That goes hand-in-hand hand with, you know, the groceries that they pick. You know, all these things have to work in conjunction. So, you know, I think he's taking, taking all that in consideration, what Daniel Snyder is like, who he may be, you know, interested in as far as general managers. Do I get along with this guy? Are we on the same page? And then start looking around at, you know, what you're having to deal with. Dwayne Haskins, um, Adrian Peterson won't be there that much longer. You know, it seemed like Darius Geis was the heir apparent or someone that was going to take over the backfield. Um, but, you know, injuries have plagued him. So, you know, do we have a contingency plan? It's all of these things that you have to think about the degree of difficulty and how much harder it's going to be for you to do your job. Brad, when you look at the Carolina situation, how do you sum it up? I, they made a coaching change weeks ago just so they could get ahead of the curve, both as a franchise but also to allow Rivera to kind of get ahead of the rest of the coaches who are going to be trying to get a job. When, when you look at the Carolinas as a job, I keep using that word, how would you grade it? Is it attractive? Is it something that you would pick over another place? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that, you know, first off, Cam Newton is a guy. He's, I mean, he's still he's 30, 30 years old. You know, still has a lot left in the tank. Sure, he's dealt with some injuries over the past couple of years, but you know, getting him some good protection after addressing you know the guys up front, um, giving him time to throw, and also providing the lanes for Christian McCaffrey. So you, you've got to address some of those issues, and just you know, getting a defense that can get off the field on third down, and not make it imperative that you score because they can't stop anybody from scoring. You know what I mean? So it's just yeah, I think that Carolina's got good bones. They're still uber competitive in the NFC South, and I really wouldn't look at them as you know as a, a dumpster fire. There are a lot of teams out there that are far in far worse uh, situations uh, than what we're looking at with Carolina. They they just fired their coach because they need a change, I think, not because Ron Rivera couldn't do his job. Well, there's there's a big difference between a dumpster fire and a rebuild, and that's obviously what's going on in Carolina with the new owner who wants to craft it in his vision and not that of Jerry Richardson. Exactly. I think that when you look at just even what they've done to this point, Ron Rivera 
Um, he's had a really good, you know, stint in Carolina, you know, bringing them a championship and, you know, at least competing, especially against the likes of Matt Ryan and Drew Brees consistently. You know, so I think that he's, you know, carved out a niche for himself and in the NFC, which has the, the identity of being the tougher conference in the NFL. So uh, I think that there will be plenty of suitors. If he didn't jump on the Redskins job, or anybody that's looking, you know, to replace somebody like, you know, Pat Shermer in New York, um, give it time. Jason Garrett hadn't been re-signed. That's because Jason or because Jerry's looking at his options. You know, that might be a situation for you. But, you know, obviously the Redskins was a job. It's, a, it's I think it's a – you know, it's, a, it's got a great fan base. It's one of the traditional teams. Uh, and uh, I think the DMV will respond nicely to him being up there in that neck of the woods. Yeah, we're on the Jason Garrett watch right now. What's your gut tell you? Well, first off, if you believe in your coach, why do you have him sitting out there, you know, dangling in the wind, you know, wondering about his future? So I think that really it's about what do we have as an option for him? We're not just going to blow Jason Garrett out of the building or just not re-sign him without having something or someone to look forward to. You know, so who is that? And the, a name came up on our morning show this morning that really resonated with me, and that's Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy, I think, has the respect of his, his the players that he's coaching as well as doesn't you know cross over boundaries or you know do too much when it comes to the front end stuff. He's not going to require that the – that the franchise be exclusively his. Are you kidding me? It's Jerry Jones' operation. And if he can play nice and he and Jerry have the same same like thinking, then I think that he would be a tremendous hire for the Cowboys and therefore would make it easier for them to part ways with Jason Garrett. Joined by Brad Hopkins, All-Pro, Tennessee Titans, Houston Oilers franchise. Follow him on Twitter, at B underscore Hop 72. And Brad, before we let you go, the playoff brackets have been set. Is there one particular narrative going into this playoff that's going to keep your attention? Well, I love the the, the um, unorthodox play that we're getting out of the Ravens offense. I'm saying unorthodox because it's not your traditional, you know, pocket passing you know, just straight-up offense throwing the bean around. I mean, Lamar Jackson has been able to incorporate his skill set, which is unique. You know what I mean? The guy can be just as an effective, if not more effective, running the football as he can pass again. That's not sleep on his passing ability. While this cat is mobile and making things happen outside of the pocket and sending the plays, he still has a very dangerous arm, you know? And I think that those are some of the things that Greg Roman – and John Harbaugh have been able to tap into. So I want to see if this is legit. I want to see if, you know, they can they can get out of the AFC um, with as much ease as they ran through the regular season and go up against the NFC and give them some fits. And I'm thinking it might be a Lamar Jackson, Drew Brees type uh, Super Bowl, of which would be a huge um, feather in his quiver if Lamar Jackson were able to pull that off. He already beat Tom Brady. Can you beat another potential Hall of Famer? He's Brad Hopkins. You can follow him on Twitter at B underscore Hop 72. Brad, I hope you had a really good Christmas. I did, man. I hope you had a fabulous Christmas. I hope you have a better New Year. I like it, Brad. You have a good one, buddy. You too. Take care. All right. He's Brad Hopkins. Follow him on Twitter at B underscore Hop 72. Knows all things football. Really good dude. Friend of the program. There's a report out of Dallas, and I'm trying to – it's a TV station or something, WFAA intern. Will, you might want to research this. They're saying Jerry Jones has fired Jason Garrett and the entire coaching staff, but they don't have a source. Yeah, we looked at it, and we didn't have a source, so that's why we didn't uh, bring it up because it was unsubstantiated at the time and still unsubstantiated.
Yes, Charles. Unsubstantiated. I like that. Good word. Look at the reporting, the crack reporting staff of the DG show. It's that David Glenn with those uh, SAT words. I listen every day and I get those SAT words and that was one of them at some point. And... Ubiquitous. Yeah. Ubiquitous. That's my word. I don't even know what that means. Ubiquitous. But I'm pronouncing it correctly. That's that's half the battle with me. Just make sure I pronounce it correctly. Oh, yeah. Totally get it. Same with me. Interesting. Brad gave us a little more clarity on why Ron Rivera might take the Washington job, but if I'm Riverboat Ron Rivera, I'm still vetting my options. Now, I, I know it's a historically strong franchise pre-Daniel Snyder. I know that the DMV has a lot of resources, a lot of opportunities, both professionally and personally, and, well, he's probably going to get paid a lot. But if you have other options, I would want to explore those. I, I kind of would like him with the Giants. I think Ron Rivera and the Giants would be a pretty good match. But is Ron Rivera a New York City kind of guy? That's something I guess you have to consider into all this, where he'll hang his hat. I would just hope he stays in Charlotte, hope he stays in North Carolina because he's been a wonderful neighbor for all of us. Speaking of neighbors, Tiger Woods woke up some neighbors when he crashed that car that night in 09. Charles, I see you see what I did there. Turned his world upside down, both at home and on the golf course, but he rebounded, and he had a year for the ages. Took him 10 years almost. Well, it took him exactly 10 years, 09 to 2019. But otherwise, it was a lost decade. Adam Schupack of Golf Week is going to join us uh, probably about 10 minutes, and we'll reflect on the lost decade of the 20-teens that Tiger Woods endured and ended up coming out positively on the other side. Can't wait to have that talk with my old buddy Shoop and see what his New Year's plans are. Oh, and by the way, it's halftime at the Serve Pro First Responder Bowl, Directional Bowl. It should be the Directional School Bowl, Western Kentucky versus Western Michigan, the G5 Directional School Bowl, brought to you by MapQuest or something. I don't know. It's 10-10 at the half. Mississippi State and Louisville kick off in the Music City Bowl at 4. That's on ESPN. The Red Box Bowl, is that a thing? Do people still Red Box? When's the last time you rented a DVD? I see them outside a bunch of gas stations, but I haven't used one in at least five years. Yeah, everything's streaming now. Yeah, everything's on demand. Well, they got they got bowl money, <laughs> so trying to say relevant money—that's what I call it. Well, that's that's very well said. Very well said. So Cal and Illinois kick off at four o'clock on Fox. Cal Bears six-point favorites, and then tonight, I'm going to go ahead and throw the sponsor in here: the Capital One Orange Bowl. I usually avoid the sponsor unless it's a Red Box Bowl. Virginia and Florida, 8 o'clock kickoff ESPN, Gators, 14.5 points. They're favorited over the Coastal Division champions, but I told intern Will, let's put some money on the Cavaliers. I like the Hoos to cover 14.5 points in that. I think Broncos' defense will, will hold up against Florida's offense, even though Dan Mullen, he could put up some points. And Dan Mullen. I had, a, I had an agent, a very reliable agent friend of mine, tell me months ago that Dan Mullen had actually been contacted by the Carolina Panthers. This was months ago. That they had reached out to him because they were wanting to, I guess, feel out his interest if they were to make a coaching change. I have yet to hear anything else about that, but that's not really a surprise because talks between college coaches and NFL organizations are very hush-hush. I'm wondering if that might be happening behind closed doors. This source is a good source. And it makes great sense because what does Dan Mullen do? He develops quarterbacks. And he's offensive-minded. That would be, if that happens, intern Will, you'll have to pay my gambling debts for this Virginia-Florida game. We're going to win. Don't worry. We got this, pal. We're good on this. 
Going to talk a little Tiger Woods, talk a little golf with Adam Shupak of Golf Week on the other side. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Background of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. There's Jim Nance on the call back in April. Tiger Woods winning his fifth green jacket, 15th major, first since 2008. And I wrap up this decade by saying this. We are living in a world in which Tiger Woods is a sympathetic character. We like him. We feel for him. We root for him. And he was like rooting for the Empire. He was like rooting for Darth Vader back in the day. It was. That's, oh, Tiger's going to win again. Oh. It's not like that now. We pull for him. And maybe, I don't know, he smiles more. He's lost some hair. He looks more affable. He looks like, you know, the dad at the end of the street that I'm going to go borrow some uh, window wiper fluid or something. You know, I'm going to go, hey, can you help me fix my grill? Can I mean, granted, he could buy me probably 8,000 grills with the change in his pocket, but he's sympathetic. He's likable. Lovable? Let's ask Adam Shupak of Golf Week. Happy holidays, Shup. Only you're lovable, man. Uh, I don't know, but hey, happy holidays to you too. <laughs> Adam, what do you think about that? We're we're in a world where Tiger is a sympathetic figure. Yeah, I mean, look for for so long, he, he was the Humpty Dumpty of golf. He sat on that wall. He dominated the sport. He won fourteen majors. He had, you know, 70, 79 PGA Tour wins before everything kind of went went crazy, a little haywire, and uh, I mean. Just, just. I mean, it, you kind of forget just how dominant, how good he was. But from July 2006 to May 2010, he won 47% of the time he teed it up and, and was in the top 10 in 85% of his starts. I mean, it's just mind-boggling numbers there. Um, but he, he was so good. And, and then he had a great fall. He had a great fall, just like in the famous Mother Goose fable. You know it. You know it, Scott. <laughs> Yes, all, um, all the king's men, yes. <laughs> but somehow, Tiger Woods, he's a medical marvel. They put him back together, and, uh, you know, the back's, the back's been better. The, they fixed the knee a few months ago again. I thought, you know, it really seemed like, like he, you know, he, he got his 15th major at the Masters, and, and that was, you know, an incredible story. But, but then everything, the life seemed to drain out of him, and, um, it really looked like maybe now he was done. He got his one more major and he could ride off into the sunset. But after getting the, the knee fixed, uh, comes back to, to in Japan a couple months ago and, and looks like the tiger of old or the tiger of new, I should say, and, and just dominated and gets win number 82 to tie the PGA tour record for most victories in a career. And, uh, I don't know, the sky almost feels, seems to be the limit. I mean, he, he looked pretty damn good at the president's cup just a few weeks ago and uh, over there in Australia. I call it Tiger 
He's just different. He's he's just different. The, the main parts are there, but they've been altered. They've been enhanced. And I'm not just talking about him physically. I'm talking about him mentally. He seems to be a different dude in every aspect. And I just think, and I would want your opinion on this so much, Shoop, I think it's the greatest second act in the history of sports. Definitely the, the best since, uh, you know, Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan was hit by a, uh, you know, a bus and, and uh, was kind of left left for dead. They didn't think he'd ever play again, let alone win, and, and, and really had a, an, an incredible career after the accident. Um, but, yeah, I think what's happened with Tiger, is the, the most interesting part is just how he's changed as a person. And I thought the, the President's Cup was such a, a great image, image of that with him. Uh, you could just see how much he cared about that that victory, what it meant to him and, and just being captain and talking about my guys. He, he didn't, he didn't have his guys back in the day. He was a, a lone wolf and, and, and now he's, uh, he, he's got, you know, I think Justin Thomas might be his best friend out on tour and, and, and he really seems to form some, some true relationships and seems to care with these guys. One, one moment that sticks out of my mind was being at a, a tournament, uh, just a, it wasn't this year, but pre- the previous year, being at the Quicken Loans and in, in, uh, outside of D.C., and uh, he played the first two days with Bill Haas, and Bill Haas was really struggling, and, and they came out of scoring, and, and Bill Haas walking away, and Tiger called him back over and basically kind of like gave him a lesson, like told him what he was doing wrong, and there is no way back back in the, in his heyday that Tiger Woods was helping any players given any swing tips or, or what they needed to do to fix their golf swing. That, that just didn't happen. It's, I, I it, thought that was a, a real um, moment that uh, stood out for me about how much he's changed as a person. No, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you and I have had our boots on the ground for Tiger Palooza back in the day, and we saw that laser-like focus, blinders, and I, I referred to it earlier. It wasn't even blinders. It was like he had a fence around him, a bubble. Nobody got into that. And, yeah, he had some friends, you know, his usual cronies, the guys who weren't really threats to him, like Marco Mira. But to consider Tiger Woods as a mentor to anyone, it was unthinkable. I mean, I would have gotten laughed out of the press box. If I just said, oh, the Tiger's kind of mentoring these guys a little bit, these younger guys, but that's what's happening. He's turned into a mentor. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we all know what happened in, in twenty in 2009, Thanksgiving, when he when he hit the hydrant, but I think the bigger moment was the other holiday, Memorial Day, when he when he got the DUI and the, 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 the video that, that went viral uh, of him just being, you know, uh, unable to, to really – speak and, and communicate he, he just it was such a bad look and I think I think that really uh, I think he had a big heart to heart with himself and knew he had to make some changes in his life and, and I think he really has joined by Adam Shupak of Golf Week you can follow him on Twitter at Adam Shupak and you know Tiger always had this army of people protecting him that he would hide behind. They would handle everything, get him out of anything, just do whatever he wanted and then basically they were a bunch of enablers I'm I'm wondering how he's changed his circle. I mean, obviously his agent is still around, but is he hanging around with different people now? Um, you know, I think I think uh, to some extent it's, it's it's somewhat similar. I think Rob McNamara has been a, a real good addition who who works for his Tiger Woods company, and and uh, they they go way back, have a lot of history playing golf together back in the you know junior and college days, and. 
And uh, I think he's probably the best best person in his camp who who isn't a yes man who who kind of can uh, you know help Tiger with his swing, but also help him maybe do a little more of the right things in, in different in certain situations. Uh, I think he's been a great addition and, and, and a more more. Uh, you see him a lot more, and and I, you know, I not that I know much about it, but I think he's in a a, a healthier relationship now with his girlfriend Erica Herman, who he spends, a, you know, we see her out there a decent amount as well, and uh, you know, I think I think those things, and just being, I think the most important thing for Tiger is he's really uh, seems to be a, a really good parent. That's the focal point of his life now, and uh, you know, he he said he he basically did the the back surgery so that he could kick a soccer ball around with his kids and, and this golf thing has just been a, a huge bonus. Shoop, we think of all the incredible things he's accomplished. You know, I think about the chip in in 05. I, I think of him pointing at the putt in, in Louisville for the PGA Championship, things like that. But 20 years from now, will the defining image of Tiger Woods be him claiming that fifth green jacket? I think it probably will. I, I think that's one that's going to stick. Uh, you know, it just everything came full circle in '97 when he when he won for the first time at Augusta National, 12 strokes. Uh, he, he had that big bear hug with his father behind the green, and, and then here we are, all these you know, all these years later, he hadn't won a major since the 2008 U.S. Open, and, uh, and on an incredible day when amazingly uh, all all the leaders seems everybody who seemed to be able to win the tournament or should have won the tournament hit in the water at the 12th green, Tiger Woods doesn't makes an incredible birdie at 16 hits the drive on 17 that he needed to hit that had been a, a nemesis hole for him and a, a shot that he struggled with uh over the years and and gets it done with the bogey on on the last hole to win and and there there's kids at the back of the green his mom as well but i think it's the that image of him hugging his kids that uh you know it, it's it's you, you might not have liked him for a variety of reasons, but when you see something like that, a guy who's gone through so much and, and is able to, to come back, ha- uh, I, I think everybody just uh, will remember that moment. I, I think so, for sure. And shoot, before we let you go, my math might be slightly askew here, but I would like to get your take on this. I think we're in year two, year three of the uh, reconstructed PGA Tour schedule that has the players in March, followed by the Masters, and so on and so forth, with the season ending, um, the last major, rather, being the British Open. How is that? What's the temperature among the players as far as the ebb and flow of that, and how do you like it personally? I think it's, I think it's somewhat mixed. This will be, be year two. I think people are still kind of getting used to it. There are, are certainly some tournaments that have uh, taken a hit because guys need to take breaks at certain times. So like the Honda classic would be an example of a place where guys are seem to be skipping because they, they just played too much. And um, there, there are a lot of guys that, you know, playing, playing that with one every month. You, the good thing is you're seeing these guys constantly. There's a, there's a nice momentum in the season, but, but it also feels very condensed and uh, it, it's still an adjustment process. I think uh, the other, the tournaments in between are, are, are certainly getting, they've been diminished in, in value and standing and, and you're seeing, you're seeing guys like Tiger, you know, didn't play Wells Fargo this year. And, and, uh, between, um, between the, the players and the, and the PGA, sorry, the masters and the PGA. And, and I think that you're going to, you're going to continue to see some of that, some players not playing where they, 
used to play quite as much and, and, and so much more focused on the majors. It's, there are pros and cons to it. Uh, I think I'm still on the fence whether I'm, whether I'm for it or not. He writes for Golf Week. He writes books. He does ice sculptures. I'm sure he has many other talents. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Shupak. Shoop, as always, buddy, good catching up with you. All right. Happy New Year to you. All righty, pal. See you. It's Adam Shupak of Golf Week. And look, Shoop and I covered a lot of golf together all around the country. And we've written a lot of stories about Tiger Woods. And this is a different guy. Age 44 today, very different than when he was age 34 and a whole heck of a lot different than when he was 24 and all points in between. What's next? How long can he keep this up? Obviously, his health is going to determine so much. Golf, more than perhaps any other sport, is incredibly violent and unnatural. It's not natural to turn your body and hit a golf ball like that. And it is hard on your back. It's hard on your knees. It's hard on a lot of things. How long can he continue it? Especially when you think about everything Tiger has done. Look, he, He's a golf prodigy. He's hit a golf ball since he was like a year and a half old, something like that. And he reinvented his swing, redid his swing nearly a half dozen times. Well, you have to practice a lot regardless. But when you're redoing your swing, you have to practice about 10 times as much. So his body has had the wear and tear of probably an additional five PGA Tour seasons, all things considered. But as Adam Shupak of Golf Week said, he seems to be holding up pretty good. He's healed up, finally. And he's being more ju- he's being more prudent when it comes to when he plays. Look, he always picked and chose when he played. He had a very set schedule. But now he's extra thoughtful. Is it going to be hard on my back? Is it going to be hard on my knees? Do I need an extra day of rest? Do I need an extra two weeks of rest? He's being smart about it. He's not letting his competitive fire, the one that had him out jogging in the middle of the night to stay in shape, the one that had him lifting weights so he looked like he could play weak side backer for the Panthers, he's not letting that rule him. He's not letting it dictate what he does. He's being smart. Got his knee repaired so he can kick a soccer ball with his kid. God bless his heart. That's awesome. And I think that kind of thinking, being mortal, not the Superman that he was, will help him continue playing as he goes deeper into his 40s. Tiger Woods, age 44 today. He's one of our best and worst of the year, best and worst of the decade. We've even got best and worst of the weekend, 1-800-849-2761. Let's take your calls as we wrap up the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. That's great. It starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes and airplanes not the end of the world but it's the end of 2019 it's the end of the 20 teens the decade all that comes to a close tomorrow night at midnight 2020 it's the final edition of the david glenn show both for the year and for the decade there'll be a best of show tomorrow david glenn will be back in the house i presume later this week dg off spreading good cheer the holidays are a year-round thing for dg he's always off full of mirth and joy and, and all that Scott Hamilton still filling in as we get ready to close out the third and final hour of the David Glenn Show on Monday, December 30th. 
44th birthday of Tiger Woods. And we're having a best and worst of the weekend, worst and best of the year, best and worst of the decade. And Charles, you have taken the time to, to provide some examples of some best and worst in the world of sports. What do you got? Well, first we've got um, something that was anticipated by a lot of people, the Cubs winning the 2016 World Series call. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. That was unbelievable. Again, bizarro world, 2016. And was it their first World Series since like 1910 or something like that? I mean, it was it was ridiculous how long that streak was. Streak? Skid. We'll say that. All right, excellent choice, Charles. Thank you. It was, it was, it was a big moment. I was watching that game live, and it was just, I mean, I have some friends who are Cubs fans, and it was amazing to see them finally get out of the pit of despair. Pit of despair, yes. That's what we'll call it. So next one we got is American Pharaoh winning yeah. the Triple Crown. The American Pharaoh continues to lead the way. He's on top by three quarters of the length. Moob Tahij is off the rail. And now he's a length behind in second. And American Pharaoh kicks away. American Pharaoh has opened up a two-length lead as they come to the top of the stretch. And Frosted has moved up into second. And they're into the stretch. And American Pharaoh makes his run for glory as they come into the final furlong. Frosted is second with one-eighth of a mile to go. American Pharaoh's got a two-length lead. Frosted is all out at the 16th pole. And here it is. The 37-year wait is over. American Pharaoh is finally the one. American Pharaoh has won the Triple Crown! And that, that was a big deal. 37 years. The firm did it in 1978, American Pharaoh 2015. And, and my column for the Winston-Salem Journal for the Sunday edition, I said we stopped to watch a unicorn or a horse outrun a unicorn because that's what it was like. Lassoing a Triple Crown was like capturing a unicorn. We kept waiting for it, waiting for it, waiting for it. Never did happen. Well, it finally materialized in the form of American Pharaoh. I liked it. I loved it. I wish we would have more like that. Once upon a time, before we go to the break, horse racing, one of the big sports in this country, along with golf and boxing. Now you're wondering, you know, you can name Tiger Woods, but a lot of people can't name many more golfers. I don't know who the heavyweight champ is, and, well, I only watch horse racing during the Triple Crown races. Well done, Charles. Excellent examples. We might be able to get two more in before we close out the show. 1-800-849-2761. We're closing out the decade on the David Glenn Show. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music for right. that? That's right. That's Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind beneath my wings. Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.